1: You're listening to Lips LA
2: with Scott Lips. Hey guys, it's Scott and welcome back to yet another exciting episode of Lips Service. My guests today are none other than one of the best-selling punk rock bands of all time, having sold 40 million records worldwide. They are the offspring. We are joined today by Dexter Holland and Noodles, the crux of the band. These guys are legends and innovators of the SoCal punk rock scene. They've won countless awards and their music has had a lasting impact across film, TV, and video games. But the band turned their forces to a new album, released in 2021. So we'll get into that. We'll get into the new record. We'll, I'm gonna actually going to set the stage you. I'm going to take you back to the early 90s. 1994 was the year, and they helped break open the punk pop skater genre wide open. So welcome to the show in just a moment. Dexter and Noodles from The Offspring.
1: You're listening to Lips LA
0: with Scott Lips.
2: Our show today is brought to you by the fine folks at Thursday's Boot Company. You guys have seen me rocking these boots in every other picture I have on Instagram. I'm always repping them. Thursday's Boots is a bootstrap startup that makes the best handcrafted boots and sells them direct to consumer at some of the lowest markups in the footwear industry. Thursday's Boots' tagline is highest quality, honest prices because they use some of the best materials like full grain leather, supple glove leather lining, and gold standard Goodyear welt construction. Thursday's Boot Company sells their boots at prices starting at just $149 with free shipping and returns. They've been featured in all the best fashion press, from Esquire to GQ to Cosmo and Vogue. And more, more importantly, they've gotten over 20,000 five-star reviews from real customers. Thursday's Boots are perfect for people who understand quality and don't want to pay a high retail markup for a great-looking pair of boots that are built to last. So check them out at Thursday's Boots on Instagram. My favorite shoes, my favorite boots. You always see me repping them. You'll love it.
1: You're listening to Lips LA with
0: Scott Lips. My guests today, are one of the biggest
2: selling punk rock bands of all time, having sold over 40 million records worldwide. Welcome Dexter Noodles of the Offspring. Hey, guys. Hello. Hey, Hello. Man. How's it going? Are you guys in your studio over there? It looks awesome, by the way. This is our studio. Yeah, this is where we did,
1: uh, you know, almost the entire record. Mm-hmm. Amazing looks very plush by the way you have like
2: curtains and there's a whole thing going on there it's that's very awesome
1: welcoming to- we wanted a welcoming place to come in
2: and work at yeah that's awesome by the way nine years since your last wreck what took so long uh fair question uh <laughs> yeah mainly it just it
1: that's how long it took um you know we we had nobody telling us it had to be done by a certain time there was no deadline on this one and um you know we've been
2: working the whole time it just it just took us that long to to get it done but it's exciting actually you guys still get the jitters because i think thursday is actually the day april 16th that this right. record comes out how do you feel like with a new record coming out
1: yeah i mean it's its always a nerve-wracking thing when you have a record that's done that you love you feel really strongly about but you just don't know how the fans are going to react to it um certain things have been leaking out here and there well we you know we released the single yeah. i think Another one got out last week and another song. And then it's, I think it might all be kind of leaked out at at this point. Really? Maybe it's. I was uh, getting, I was getting messages last night on Twitter that people are hearing it. Like the whole record? I think so. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm sure the label is trying to shut it down. So I don't know. Maybe it was up for a little bit and then got shut down.
2: (laughs) Well, the response to let the bad times roll has been incredible already. I think it's over a million views on YouTube already, which is amazing. So you have to feel great when you put that first single out and already the fans are going nuts, which is amazing, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all, all you hope for is that your music resonates with an audience and and, so, and and we've got an audience that's been great and that's, you know, had our back for years. So to see that the, the song is working is, yeah, it feels great.
2: Definitely. Sure. And what have you guys been doing during the pandemic? Obviously, I know you've been writing music and making this record, but Dexter, I think you might have gotten a PhD, which... Leads me to believe you've been quite busy, right? I, I did. I went back to school.
3: That's part of the why we had this break. That's part of why it took nine years. Actually, <laughs> yeah. Dexter
2: wanted to go back
1: and get his, finish his PhD. And we said, absolutely, bro, we got your back. And uh, he goes... Because it'll only take two years. <laughs> it took him about five years. Yeah. But we kept dragging yeah. him out on the road to tour with us and stuff. And in here to, to work even during that time. And I so I now self- you're Dr. Dexter, too, which is great, right? Do- yeah. Dr. Dexter. That's right. I make, them, <laughs> yeah. I make them
3: call me that in the dressing room.
2: Ain't in our ass. <laughs> And Nudas, what have you been doing too? Obviously, there's so, I know there's so much you guys have going on, on the side. I know Dexter, you also fly planes, but let's talk about some of the side things you have going on too, and then we'll get into the record and your history, which is incredible. So,
1: yeah, I mean, I, I play music with friends when I can. You know, um, I'm not nearly as ambitious. Like, I don't have a hot sauce empire that I'm building.
2: <laughs> uh, I like to surf. I like to you know go on hikes and ride my bike around and drink beer. Awesome well take me back to the beginning you guys grew up in orange county and i think it was like 37 years ago that you both met and talking me about your childhood and growing up and a lot of the bands that you're into i know it was like TSOL and x and the dickies and black flag and your early influences and how you kind of got together and got into this
3: yeah those were the bands that you know inspired us uh TSOL, uh the vandals social distortion we for sure, for sure. Yeah. and uh you know, I probably you may have heard this story before, but we we got together kind of by accident. We we wanted to go to a social distortion show. We got down to the venue. It was sold out. It was like they shut the door almost right in front of us. So we ended up at a friend's house just drinking beer in their backyard and, and thought, you know, we should start a band. And uh, <laughs> just like just like that. But we didn't know how to play instruments. We didn't play anything. It was just like it sounded funny, like, let's do it. So we decided to form a band that night. And, and we actually picked instruments well what do you want to play i don't know i'll play guitar i guess i'll play a bass and uh that's literally how the band started just on a whim like that
1: if you think about it that is the purest way to start a band because that's how <laughs> kids do it like if you ever seen kids play you know my son when he was before he could play anything was would
2: start a band with his cousins you know we're in a band now like oh okay you know, this just sounds cool yeah totally <laughs> well, i love the fact that you started a band before you learned how to play instruments because that's incredible
3: yeah <laughs> before we're to play that that was just uh yeah that was a detail they even assigned
2: assigned roles yeah and but, that's because you were you're actually a drummer first right
3: uh well, I played drums sometimes because we didn't have a drummer always. <laughs> <But> <laughs> yeah, the, the, the positions were fluid at that point. Like right. none of us actually claimed to be the singer that night. I don't think either that. that Originally, kind of... you were just going to be guitar, right? And I think we did. Yeah. yeah. And eventually we had to work that out. I was going to be singing.
1: The friend that was going to be a drummer. This was before I actually joined. Uh, but the friend who was going to be a drummer just never never got drums and never never learned how to play so <laughs> that's, that's right. when he stole the drummer that was in my band uh that's who i've right. been playing with actually dexter sat in with that band uh first
2: we
3: shared yeah shared the drummer shared the drummer
2: <laughs> yeah i'm actually a drummer too i don't know if you guys know so it's funny my, the curse of the the spinal tap drummer situation has always been one of my favorite elements of that movie because the drummer spontaneously combusts and they go through you know okay. many drummers i think you guys have gone. i think you've had four drummers right in the band four or five um you yeah, God, I mean, yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Right now, Pete's
1: been with us for thirteen years, fourteen yeah, yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. He's been with Definitely. us for forever. Yeah, um, yeah. So, and he and he's great. Right now, we've got a solid, uh, solid group playing, and it's just, it's just a Feeling really good, good, yeah, good. If just
2: family. It's so, just, talking about like the first record deal, and you guys start to get together, you start to gain momentum. I know, you know, Epitaph came into the picture. I think. What about a record and a maybe a seven inch later? But talk to me about that process of getting the deal. And because initially, I mean, you didn't sign through major, and so what was the decision to go with Epitaph? And how did that all come about?
3: Right. I mean, we were knocking on doors for sure. It was just cassette tapes, demo tapes that we would we'd make that we'd send around, and we would uh, sell them at shows. I mean, I remember God, you could buy them, you could buy them in ten packs. These cassettes of ten. And so I would dub off, like I had a master dub off like 10 or 20 before a show and try to sell 25 right. takes at show. It was just that kind of thing. And uh, we would look up labels from magazines that we liked, like Maximum Rock and Roll and Flipside. And I, I, we would send demos and letters to these labels and no one was interested. Couldn't even really get a rejection letter usually, but sometimes we did get a rejection letter and they're pretty, pretty creative, right? I forget who it was. <laughs> label called boner records or something right said i'm sorry but this record your tape is just too melodic for me that was it's too melodic
1: yeah <laughs> I thought, what well, does that yeah. even mean
2: too melodic I guess,
1: well i mean and that's that was one of the things there was a lot of i mean we were kind of coming up the, the first punk wave had kind of died off and it was really hardcore it was just a hardcore scene some real percussive heavy heavy sounding stuff there wasn't a whole lot of melody or you know song structure really it was just kind of aggression and mm-hmm. and hammering um and we still liked songs so we kind of i think stood out or or didn't fit into the scene
3: as as much as right you know we were listening to the adolescence yeah. and social distortion both of which write yeah. songs yeah. yeah it was great so um just couldn't get interest from anybody but eventually we we found a label they're called nemesis it was big frank who worked at zed's records and uh sure. Kind of a famous guy, and he agreed to put it out, which was great. And I think they gave us five hundred dollars to make the record, and we spent a thousand, put our own money into it. Yeah. And he put it out, and it was it was vinyl and cassette. It was it was a little bit, but he thought it wasn't quite ready for CD. He was putting out CDs on some of his <laughs> bands, but not You probably right. pressed like a thousand of them or something, right? I think we ended up selling three thousand. Okay. On that oh. Vinyl and cassette. Uh, and we were thrilled just to have something, you know, a real record. It was, it was amazing, but it was still pretty DIY. And, uh, uh you know, we, we, kept on working at, looking at Epitaph and getting to know them because, you know, they were like, they were the best label around. They're the biggest label, the best label. They really seem to have, they're, they're very organized and, uh, uh it just took a while for us to get our, their attention.
2: And at a certain point, I'm assuming you heard nevermind. Right. And so that's about, what, about 93 or so? how does that affect the way that you guys are are making music did did it change your mentality in terms of the direction you wanted to go you were just like hey we're on to something because this is already the path that we're going on
3: i think nevermind was 91 wasn't it yeah 91 Uh, 92 Uh, yeah but uh yeah i mean before then you know we looked around all the shows the la area it was all hair metal right and we just weren't interested in that um wasn't what we wanted to do so there was no real future for a band like ours right i don't think and then all of a sudden we saw Smells Like Teen Spirit on MTV. And it's like, this looks like shows I go to. This looks like Gilman yeah, Street. Yeah, and there. You can uh, see the connection. Like we're, we are not, well, not just us. And the bands we hung out with Pennywise and stuff. We aren't that far off from that. Yeah. But we didn't,
1: we didn't, it didn't change how we made our music. I remember talking to some guys in punk bands and they were actively trying to switch over to grunge. Oh yeah. yeah. We never really had that thought we you know yeah. we'd already been a band for 10 years we knew the kind of music we play and we just never thought we weren't really looking for a break we weren't looking to like break into the business we just made music that we enjoyed and wanted to go out and you know
2: tour on weekends and summer vacations thank actually Dexter, to, you were going to like medical school when smash really took off right and noodles you were working as a janitor which is incredible because when you think about the success of that record and i think it's i i feel like it's the number one selling independent record of all time it's pretty incredible that you guys were doing that at the time of that record right
3: fitting it in yeah, yeah. it was our part-time it was our hobby really but i mean we loved it we spent a lot of time on it but yeah. it was still just a hobby
2: yeah because you guys came up playing shows for like a hundred people right initially right so what kind of changes now in the way that you approach things with the music?
1: Oh, well, I mean, the shows got bigger and stuff, and we had to kind of all of a sudden try to get our shit together.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. You know, we're we it's not just you know playing for 10, 12, maybe 50 people in a in a small club. All of a sudden
3: there's yeah, a lot of people out there. We yeah. you know we we're playing on really cheap gear. I mean, we actually we pulled our money together to buy one Mesa Boogie amp to record Smash with. Like, oh, that right. was yeah, all we yeah. could.
1: We are sharing an amp. Because the guys in Pennywise and No Effects were all using Mesa Boogie, and we really liked the sound that they were they were getting. Yeah, that, right? yeah.
2: And it's funny, because a lot of those early punk shows, there was such an element of danger. Even back to the early Guns N' Roses shows, there was the Mosh Pits, whatever. And so do you think that that'll ever come back, that element of danger that, you know, those old punk shows used to have?
1: Yeah, It's out there. I don't know that it's uh always at punk sh- at, at necessarily what you would call punk shows there's shows where that where that happens uh for sure there's still danger out there
3: in europe uh, i guess right yeah, yeah yeah but overall it's a different thing I <laughs> yeah guess, yeah
1: well there's still it's there is still is i mean that wacko show at the denny's yeah um you know yeah it's it, it still happens out there that was that was definitely a punk band so and there's there's a lot of uh, hip-hop stuff that has started to incorporate punk sounds and, and, and punk songs and and certainly the punk spirit. Um, and those things go off, I guess.
2: Definitely. It's interesting. You guys have stayed the test of time because of the songwriting, right? The songwriting is incredible. You have so many hits. A lot of your peers, though, they really haven't remained because I guess, you know, a lot of those early punk bands are great, but they don't have the songwriting that you guys have. So the truth is that you're here now, you know, 35 years later because the songwriting has been incredible. How do you pick the songs that go when you're playing live? You have such a catalog. There's like 15 to 20 hits you have to play. How do you decide which songs are going in the set? Well,
3: thanks for saying that. first. I mean, it's the truth, right? I don't know why I, how do you do it Dexter oh, yeah. How do you do it? <laughs> yeah we do think about like oh, wow we're, we're still here how, what happened yeah I, I don't know what the actual ah, reason is know, but yeah right? uh, <laughs> we enjoy it we do have a certain number of songs like Noodle says that we almost have to play every night and um and uh and then there's always deep cuts that we want to keep adding
1: you know and so we do have a rotating slot just you know, not just for us, but also for the fans. And a lot of times, we'll we'll do uh, you know whatever a little survey. What do you want to hear tonight? And if if a certain song wins, we'll we'll try to throw that one in. Um, sometimes it'll just be well that one wins because that's what I really want to play tonight. So that'll that win. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, but yeah, we I wish we could get to to you know all the songs that the fans want to hear every night. But that's just we, nobody would nobody has time for that. Mm-hmm.
2: When you look back in your catalog, though, what are the career-defining songs for you guys that you have to put in the set every night?
1: Oh well, I mean, "Come Out and Play" was the first one that kind of took off. It's super fun to play, and yeah. it, it really the crowd loves it every night. Um, "There's Kids Aren't All Right" is a is a big one. We got to play, uh, you know, every night. Um, uh, one of the later songs you're gonna go far, kids. One we have to Someone does really well. Self-esteem,
3: of course. There's
1: songs off. There's songs off every record that. Pretty we well, every every record's a smash, anyways, you know. And then occasionally we'll throw one in from from ignition, or maybe even, you know, on ra- very rare occasions, something off the first record. So. Yeah. Well,
2: it's funny because you have about fifteen or twenty hits, so you still have to incorporate the new songs, and there's not that much more to do after that is you can't play 30 songs a night right so i'm assuming it's it's hard to get the new material in when you have so many hits you have to play talk about your relationship with bob i mean i know that he comes from punk rock and a lot of people don't know that because if you look at his history it's it's motley and metallica and you don't really know that he comes from punk rock roots but talk about like the connection you have with bob and, and you know about this record obviously
1: Yeah, that's right. Thank you for pointing that out. Because a lot of people don't know that, you know, he really did kind of come from the Vancouver punk scene and playing in the payolas, that was a new wave band. And they got, they got lumped in with a lot of, you know, playing with a lot of punk bands back in the day. So he definitely has that, you know, that sensibility about him as well as just loving, great rock and roll, which, you know, we obviously share a love of too. Um, It's great having conversations about, you know how how other people make music but also how how can we get the sounds that we want to get you know and and he can push us in in directions without without kind of steering us he just kind of keeps nudging us one of my favorite things i say this a lot but but one of my favorite quotes is it's gonna be great this is gonna be great because then you know that okay we're, we're on the right path or getting somewhere but we still have some work to do and Bob says that all the time, and and it's really that's how he is. It's it's great working with him. It's just he's just a great guy, and and we really do click like that.
2: Yeah, were you fans of the Motley Records and Metallica Records? It's a different genre, obviously. So,
1: yeah, I mean, well, the Black Album for sure. As a guitar player, you know, I mean, it's just a it's a a great record. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I didn't get into. And when I was younger, I just, I, I, I hated all the hair metal stuff. You know, bands like Metallica started to make it a little bit cooler. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. So it took me a while to kind of get, get to where I could appreciate Motley Crue the way I do
2: now. Definitely. And, and process wise, does it change the way you make music now with, you know, the pandemic? You know, were you guys working through Zoom? I know that you guys live, I think, fairly close to each other, right? So is it just coming down to the studio? Are you getting tested every week? Or is it? Are you actually doing it remotely, or were you doing it remotely?
1: Yeah, we we would come in together. And, you know, we started wearing the masks a yeah, lot man. while we while we were here. We've all, you know, been tested and you know are getting our our vaccines and all that. So um, now we, we've you know hang out like this. But we were coming in and, and recording. We did do some stuff over Zoom with Bob and even uh, even Pete. Most of all, the drums were done fortunately, so he didn't have to fly out at first although we did fly him out more recently for stuff when we did the the cover of the um the tiger king song here oh, that's right I mean, he yeah pete did that remotely he recorded in his uh in his studio in nashville his home studio and and we recorded all our stuff here
2: i probably uh, shouldn't so yeah. say this but i'll say this because i always love this story like just a side note about the tiger king i came home to my building and it doesn't matter because they don't live here anymore but I came onto to my building a couple months ago and I saw a package addressed to Carol Baskin. Uh, actually, the apartment next to mine. And I'm like, is this the same one from the Tiger King? She actually moved <laughs> in next door to me um, wow. for a brief period of time Funny. when because she, she was on Dancing with the Stars not long ago. So when wow. she did Dancing with the Stars, she moved in next door to me. I was actually in New York, but I, the whole time I was like really paranoid, like, you know what's gonna to happen to my dog? Like, is everything okay? <laughs> <laughs> but truth is, she did live next door to me, which which is really weird because I saw that her husband Harold had addressed a package to her, and I was like, wow. So she really moved in. There.
1: Yeah. Now, now Carol, to her credit, teaches. I think for the most part, she treats animals okay. She doesn't breed them. She does save them. She exploits the ones that she saves, but she does. She's more saving. She's not like breeding them, like some of these some of these guys were. Right. But now husbands, she may not treat so well. Yeah. Made me nervous. Yeah. The whole thing made me nervous. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> Yeah, I bet.
2: Yeah. Let's talk about the new record. Obviously, you tackle a lot of issues: mental health, the opioid crisis, and basically shit just being really fucked up but with a bit of sense of humor obviously so talk about let the bad times roll i know that you guys have spoken about it before but obviously it's such an important topic all the topics that you tackled on this record are important so talk about some of the issues
1: yeah uh i mean well opioid diaries is about you know uh People being prescribed opiates, yeah, you know, and they're they're being prescribed them as non uh, non-addictive, but they're highly addictive. And and the pharmaceutical industry knew this, um, and and went ahead anyways, uh, you know, and created a bunch of these people became accidentally addicted. They didn't know it was going to happen, so that's terrible. Um, so we talk about that. There's in um, behind your walls. We talk about depression and mental illness. You know, that's it's or address that. Um, yeah. You know, that's kind of written, like, how do you reach somebody that's in a, in a dark place? And how do you how do you reach out and, you know, help them out of that? It's a
3: it's a you know, tough thing. There's a lot of things. Yeah. So, I mean, let the bad yeah. times roll just seem to be the slogan that summed up the whole record and summed up summed up our times, really, whether you're talking political unrest, uh, social socially, things that have been going on a lot, you know, rioting and all that stuff. And as well as he talks about some, you know, mental illness and opioid crisis and all that. It was just kind of like, man, shit is going on. There's certainly enough, a lot of inspiration right now. Things are right about.
2: Definitely. Was this record particularly cathartic for you, Dexter, just in the way with everything going on? Uh, Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah, it was for sure. I think, uh, I don't know, just getting it out kind of makes you feel better. Um, And I know that the bands that I listened to growing up, I felt better reacting with their songs. Yeah. So I kind of just wanted to get it out, get it out there like, Hey everybody this is what's going on you know in in a way that's kind of from an observer's point of view it's not i'm not trying to give people an opinion of how they should feel about it
2: definitely definitely do you miss you ever miss the carefree nature of the 90s and the 2000s without all the craziness going on in the world that it is today the 90s were fun yeah <laughs> I mean, it was, yeah it was
1: a, you know super exciting time for us definitely. You know, of course as the as the band took off um I mean, yes and no. I mean, there was there was issues back then that that I wouldn't want to have to go back and deal with again. But and I don't think we. I mean, it's, everybody can be nostalgic, but we don't focus on nostalgia so much. I mean, those days were incredible. We talk about them in the interviews, and it's always kind of fun reliving that. But I think our eye is pretty much on on today and what we're doing now, and then with with an, also a look into the future. You know, we're already talking about you know after this there is another record that's already in the works we have songs that that we're going to go back eventually and start relooking at and, and everything but
2: let's talk about that because you have you almost have like a half a record already done right
1: yeah exactly yeah, yeah. uh before that though we want to get back out and start playing live shows again and and we're doing that we've uh we just announced some shows in november in the uk um and uh I think we still have some shows on the books, like maybe as early as October that that haven't been canceled yet. Hopefully the virus is put to bed by then, or at least, you know, stop spreading enough to where people can gather safely. So we're, we're that's where our focus is right now, put, putting all these songs together live and, and going out and traveling and playing, connecting, you know, with the audience in person.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because I know Bonnaroo was just announced not long ago. I know you guys have dates with the Hives I think it's what November.
1: Yeah, November exactly in the UK. Yeah. yeah,
2: so I feel like November we should be okay. But the festivals, I'm still wondering, right? I, is it too soon for something like Bonnaroo? How do you feel about gathering and you know with thousands and thousands of people? Do you feel like personally it's too soon, or you feel like the world is ready for this now? I I I don't know. Like I, I'm not sure. I would
1: be comfortable going to a festival today. Mm. I think yeah. I'd be more an outdoor festival. I would be more comfortable than an indoor club Mm. you know where we're we're breathing the same air on top of each other for sure um so you know i don't know but i think that's that's going to be clutch like how many people are going to be too afraid within the next few months and it's going to take them some time so i don't think it's just a matter of flipping the switch and then we're all back to normal i think there's going to be some you know slow you know testing the waters before we jump in
2: headfirst i do feel like the vaccination will be like your passport to going to live shows and i think as well as it should be, right? I feel like people would be more comfortable getting together if they know that everyone else is vaccinated. So I know that you guys are big proponents of getting vaccinated, right? So talk about that a little bit because I think it's important.
1: Well, I think rather than, by the time we get passports, most of the people will be, you'll have a certain percentage. And I think that's, putting the passports together would would be so time consuming and take so much effort and, and getting people together on it. Yeah. by the time we do that the vaccines should already be taken effect and they won't be necessary that's that's how i see it happening um you know i know passports once you have the vaccine passport it kind of makes everybody nervous but really i have a card that has my first shot on it and i'll give my second shot on that card and you know, I'm happy to have it. That's definitely, you know, I don't mind showing that for certain, you know, to, I'm sure I'm going to need it. We're going to need it to get to enter certain countries, I'm sure.
2: 100%. What do you miss the most about touring now?
1: I miss everything. Yeah, I was know. watching a TV show and there was a picture of a person sitting in their seat with a drink on a commercial plane. And I'm like, God, I miss flying commercially.
3: <laughs> you right. know, that, I mean, who misses flying commercially? Yeah. <laughs> I, do. I miss the small cramped dressing rooms where the lights are <laughs> dangling from the ceiling and yeah. cockroaches are running around.
1: Yeah. But we, yeah, we're cracking each other up and playing guitar and, and, you know, yeah, Jonah will teach me something that he just learned. Or Todd will teach me something that he just learned. And, and we just kind of share new riffs backstage before we go out and you play the show. Of course the, the live show is what we miss the most. And, you know the banter trying to crack him up on stage in front of a crowd every night is is a
3: lot of fun it's fun so
2: it's interesting dexter because you are a pilot right and i know noodles you don't love to fly you're probably like me i hate flying so you prefer the bus i think right i do prefer the
1: bus i'm just yeah. more comfortable uh, yeah. on the bus a lot of guys feel kind of claustrophobic and you, you know and and it is after like an 18 hour ride when you're all on each other's space I, it can get to be a bit much, but. I'll drink beer and then sleep for 12 hours at that time, you know, then wake up and drink coffee and watch movies. Uh, but, you know, he's a, he's a pilot. He flies this quite a bit. And it's actually, I, I've gotten far more comfortable uh, with flying over the years. He's a great pilot. Very conscientious. Thank you. So,
2: very conscientious. <laughs> so let's go back to the new record for one minute. I mean, the new record has been done for like two years, I think, right?
3: Well, yeah, it's pretty much done right before the pandemic hit. Uh, and we decided to to step back and not put it out right away, and we spent the last year kind of reworking some of the
2: songs. And so do you play these tracks for your friends and your family just to get a sense of, like, hey, this could be a single because you're sitting on it for a couple years, or do you just go with your gut?
3: Uh, Yeah, we play for people. Yeah, yeah. People that we think should know, I guess. I don't know. I think what's interesting about this record is, like, uh the people that like we never have sex anymore it's like uh like my sister
2: <laughs> my, my she's like a punker she loves it yeah my wife my sister my daughter all love that song yeah so it's yeah it's, so, it, so could that be the next single possibly i think so could be yeah yeah because yeah. there's some great tracks on the record obviously behind your walls this is not utopia there's so many great tracks on it but they always have the huge choruses which i love so it's incredible oh, so yeah <laughs> Yeah, definitely. So Thursday, the record comes out, and, and as I said, you must have a little bit of jitters because it's been nine years, right? And the music industry has changed dramatically. So how are you feeling coming up to the release of this record? You, you do get a little anxious, yeah. In a way.
1: I mean, we're not, you know, we're not sweating, you know, we're not sweating it, but but more, it's more excitement. Yeah, you know, a little nervous excitement. We just want the fans to to hear it and have it and and hopefully
2: they know. like it yeah yeah i would say 40 million records later you're probably not sweating but <laughs> you might be yeah. a little nervous <laughs> but definitely excited for index we, we do have to talk about bringo bandito because it is great that you have this hot sauce and you know <laughs> what's the world missing oh. in hot sauces i mean why hot sauce i know you love it but tell yeah. us why you decided to go into hot sauce
3: i know i don't have like a really good reason it wasn't like i did market research and wrote up a business plan it was like
2: just a passion project i guess
3: right i love hot sauce and i always thought it'd be cool to have one and yeah decided to to make it and uh it's fun you know
1: yeah i remember having hot hot sauce tasting you know sessions uh like outside the studio in in hollywood years ago that huh yeah every once in a while we just bring a bunch everyone would bring like one of their one or two of their favorites and yeah try a bunch and then just see if you could hang on to like through the like some of it was definitely just macho can you handle this yeah but but it was more than that because we did also you know like the flavors we would compare and not just heat but also the the flavor of the sauces
3: hot hot sauce is fun i think hot sauce makes people happy makes people smile (laughs) Yeah. and sweat and yeah. Sweat,
2: yeah. sweat yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm i know yeah. you watched yeah. that I'm, show are uh, the hot ones right yeah i was <laughs> gonna
1: just
3: say have they even ever contacted you about that right. or, i've asked a couple times they have not all right i even said like i don't have to be the guest just let me be the hot sauce right,
2: <laughs> right. yeah okay. either way but yeah. nothing nothing yet
3: on that front
2: definitely well uh, one other thing i want to bring up the 20th anniversary of conspiracy of one so it, which is incredible right And we talk about original prankster and how you guys kind of took a leap of faith many years ago and put that song out for free during the whole Napster thing that was going on. I mean, how has the music industry changed for you guys? Like marketing bands is so different now it's all social media noodles. I know that you're into social media a lot. Dexter, are you on Instagram? I I actually wasn't able to find you, but
3: no, not personally.
2: All right. So how do you think the business has changed? I mean, you guys took a leap of faith 20 years ago by doing that and, you know, something that other bands hadn't done, then Radiohead released their record for free years later, and you know, a lot of other bands followed suit, but definitely one of the first bands to do that. So when you look at how the industry has progressed since then, how's it changed for you?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we kind of saw the way it was going, you know, and, and uh, when Americana came out, Pretty Fly was one of the heaviest downloaded songs that whole year. And that record did great for us. So we were kind of thinking maybe the internet can be used the way you would normally use radio. Um, plus we just wanted to have fun. We, we knew it was coming. And we did appreciate the immediacy with which you could, you know, interact with your audience and your fans. And
3: so we enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, it was, uh, it, it was, uh, it, and now it's all free. Back then, it was just one song. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> now, <laughs> if you sell, like, 50,000 records, it's, like, great, right? Because back yeah. then, it was, like, millions, but nobody it, buys records anymore.
1: Yeah. I mean, for us, music has always had worth. I mean, that's how we spent our, you know, our spare cash. Every payday, would go down and buy, like, four or five records at the local record store. Um, yeah. You know that? And then go home and pour over the liner notes and everything. And and now, it's kind of like, eh, swipe, swipe. 15 seconds. Nope. Swipe. You know, it's it's... Right. I think the internet might've have, might have cheapened music in some ways. At the same time, it's, it's certainly democratized how, how music is made and shared and, and you know, produced and all of that. I mean, it, 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 young kids could be on their computer in a living room and making music and making a funny video. And if it goes viral, they could become overnight sensations. Uh, how do they
3: get cheapened music?
1: Well, because it's, there's so much of it and it's just, you know, people give it a 15 seconds and then Mm. swipe and they just Mm. move. There's so much now and, and they don't, you know, and nobody's, nobody's paying any money for it. Right. You just
2: have to put the needle on the record and let the whole thing play out. Now it's 10 seconds next. Right.
1: Yeah. you know I think there is a lot of really crappy music out there, but if you sort through it, there's also a lot of really, really great music that is happening. It's
3: yeah. you have
1: to sift through more to to get to it, I think, to find sift it. through more. Yeah. And, and
3: besides the fact of not getting paid, uh, yeah. I, I think it's really cool that we're just we're heard so much. I think more, you know, like yeah. I don't know what our streaming numbers are, but I mean, it's you know it's it's millions and it's yeah it's incredible that. I just don't think we would have probably gotten before.
2: Yeah. When you look back on some of those records that helped shape you, which are the ones that still really, you know, stand the test of time for you? Cause I'm a huge distillers fan right before the pandemic. I saw them. Um, which of those records do you really, you know, they, they really ring true to you still.
1: Oh God. I mean, so many of them. Uh, Cause some don't right? Some first, you listen to
2: and you're like, this doesn't hold
1: up. It didn't age well. Yeah. 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 Um, the first Ramones record is just classic all the way through. Yeah. Uh, tsol's dance with me still grabs me the way it did when Mm -hmm. i was a a kid uh the incredible shrinking dickies is a great record all the way through um never mind the bollocks of course yeah Uh, um
2: x i think still holds up x
1: absolutely so good
2: definitely I hear some of still, your guitar playing in X. There's, there's some overlap there, right? I feel like you were highly influenced by... Uh, I'm
1: still trying to figure out Billy Zoom. Uh, you know, I, I, I learned to play mostly to the Stones, like which is pentatonic kind of stuff. Yeah, Billy yeah. Zoom was all rockabilly uh, and, and you know, almost kind of country. It's a, it's a completely different scale. So uh, I, I love that stuff, though.
2: Awesome. Well, it's very exciting. This Thursday, Friday, April 16th, the record comes out, Let the Bad Times Roll. Excited for you guys, and it's great to meet. You. I hope we get to do this in person one of these days, right? The Zoom thing is cool, but it's not like getting to hang with a beer and, you know, getting to know each other. So yeah, Please, I would like that. Yeah. yeah love it. I appreciate it, guys. And, and definitely looking forward to seeing you guys play coming up, and hopefully in a couple months this will be behind us, and you guys will be hitting the road soon. Hopefully. Amen. Fingers crossed. Definitely. Well, go check out the new record, Let the Bad Times Roll. And thanks, Dexter and Noodles. See you guys soon. Thank thanks, you. Awesome, appreciate guys. It. See you soon.
1: You're listening to Lips LA with
2: Scott Lips. Well, that was fun. I didn't know those guys, but those guys are awesome. The Offspring, over 40 million records sold. Wow. Noodles and Dexter Hahn, the new record just out. Actually, by the time you're listening to this, the new record will be out because I believe this will uh, air on Tuesday. And the record will have come out on Thursday or Friday. So a couple of days for you guys to check it out. What a great band. So many hits when it went back and revisited the catalog. It's incredible. If you like the show, the show is free, as you know. So please make sure to rate and review the show. Very helpful for us on iTunes. Check it out on Spotify. It's everywhere. We have some amazing guests coming up this month. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Tell a friend. Tell 40 friends. I appreciate it. Be safe and speak to you soon. Thanks.